God sees you, you're not alone. Your work really matters. It's painful, but the Lord of the universe is with you. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. A couple months ago, I read the book, A Burning in My Bones, which was the authorized biography of Eugene Peterson. Now, I imagine most people listening, you've heard of Eugene Peterson before. He's the author of The Message, probably one of the most influential commentaries or paraphrases of the Bible, at least in modern history. Author of so many books, professor at Regent College, pastor in the States for a long time, and then had a ministry, particularly in the later part of his life, shaping and mentoring many pastors through written correspondence and having people at his cabin in Montana. And reading this book, A Burning in My Bones, was such an incredible experience. Like I found myself gripped by it, but also really emotionally impacted because I think the book at its core was a biography that gave a window into the soul of a pastor who wrestled with what it meant to be a pastor and also someone who took his own discipleship so seriously and longed to be a follower of Jesus. And I just found myself praying my way through that book, like, Lord, help me understand what it means to be a pastor and help me love you regardless of my vocation, just to follow you and know you. And so this book impacted me so much. All of Eugene's work has, I find his commentary on pastoral ministry both encouraging, but then also really convicting because it sometimes confronts my experience of pastoral ministry in my day-to-day life. So after reading this book, I thought it would be amazing to speak to the author, Wynn Collier, about his journey going into the memoirs and journals and getting to know Eugene deeper and then writing this book and then hopefully pulling some key learnings away from it as we try together on this podcast to bring language to what it means to be a pastor here in Canada today in this time. Let me tell you a bit about Wynn before we get going. Wynn pastored for 25 years, and he was the founding pastor of All Souls Church in Charlottesville. He pastored that for 12 years, and now today he serves at Western Theological Seminary as the director of the Eugene Peterson Center for Christian Imagination, and he's the Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology and Christian Imagination. He's the author of a number of books, including his most recent book, A Burning in My Bones. The conversation we had today was such a joy. I just love talking about Eugene. Honestly, wish I had the opportunity in my life to meet him in person. So this was a window in for me. And then it was just an honor to talk to Win, someone whose book really impacted me. Incredible author, thoughtful person. And what I loved about it, and I hope that you grab from this too, is I feel like in a very non-critical way, Win pushes us to think deeper about what it means to be a pastor. And beyond that, as a follower of Jesus, to see God at work in the world around us and then join him. I sure hope you enjoy the conversation we had. Today's episode is made possible by our friends at the Canadian Bible Society. We want to highlight a resource they developed called the Bible Course. It's a course that was created to help the average person engage with God's word in a deeper way. The Bible course includes eight weeks of video teaching that are all designed to connect the events, books, and characters of scripture together into one big story. This course can easily be run in small groups and even as a great follow-up to something like Alpha if you're currently running that in your church. To check out the first video for free and to learn more about the course, just head to biblesociety.ca slash the Bible course and you'll find all you need. That's biblesociety.ca slash the Bible course. Well, Wynn, I'm very grateful to have you. Thanks for making time to be with us today, man. Thank you for inviting me. When, for those that don't know you very well, can you give us a little window into your world, what you're up to these days, the projects you're putting your passion and energy towards? Um, not exactly a project, but my first passion energy is going to my family, um, my wife, Miska. Um, she's a spiritual director and yoga teacher, and my two sons, Wyatt and Seth, and I am a pastor and a writer and am currently the founding director of the Eugene Peterson Center for Christian Imagination, which is in Holland, Michigan at Western Theological Seminary Hmm. and lots of life and good things happening there. So I love that. How long has that um, 
part or that program within Western been going? We moved here in August of 2020 and, hmm. and got to work laying the foundation and we had our opening celebration concert beauty night dinner uh in november so cool so it's fresh it's, it's fresh. fresh oh it's so exciting um i had the best experience reading the authorized biography of eugene peterson that you did I'm burning my bones it was like when i just can't say enough good things about it like obviously the subject matter itself eugene and his life is compelling read his work but what you did was just beautiful. And I just wanted to just thank you. And I'd just love to hear a little bit about how this project came to be and even how you got to know Eugene in the first place and then how you found yourself um, doing this biography for him or with him. Well, I first met Eugene through letters. Um, 1999, uh, I was a bivocational pastor at a church in Denver and one Sunday after church, one of the elders of the church came up to me and handed me a copy of a book and said, I think you can enjoy this one. And it was Eugene's Working the Angles, The Shape of Pastoral mm. Integrity. Yeah. And I realized later what he meant was, hey, when I think you need this. And, <laughs> and he was right. And I yeah. went home and that afternoon, uh, before Sunday afternoon nap, I just started the first page and I was smitten. Um, mm. as if this word was piercing my heart and he began to give me a language for something that I think I had longed for and knew intuitively in some ways, but I didn't know what to call it or how to name it. And mm -hmm. this, this holiness of the vocation of pastor. And, and so began to write him letters probably around, I want to say 2003 or so. Uh, his one of his publishers was publishing my first book and I wrangled one of the editors into giving me his address in Montana and I wrote him a letter and lo and behold he wrote me back and I think I thought I was super unique until <laughs> you know 20 years later I would have uh, thousands of letters in my basement as I was going through them so over the years mainly our relationship was through letters I mm. I met him um a couple times and in 2016 i was at their house on flathead lake and coming back flying home i was thinking about how his health was declining and somebody was going to tell his story and i started thinking about how i would hope that story to be told not not in, at that point it wasn't in the particulars it was more in the way that hmm. the, some of the the grace of eugene is just the way he is in the world and mm. um it's it's the words but it's the words accompanied with a way of life that has congruence and and speaks of god and humanness and so i i thought man i hope whoever is his biographer will embody eugene and not just narrate the facts and details but be something of an encounter with him and and then I thought, well, maybe I should do that. So hmm. I wrote him a letter and um, knowing that Eugene's response would be, you know, not interested. Mm -hmm. uh, it took his editor and publisher years to talk him into doing his memoir. Because he's and, the kind of guy that would push away like that kind of attention, right? Like that's kind of what I feel like observing his life and then reading the biography is like he doesn't want to center himself, doesn't want to make himself the conversation. And so obviously that kind of invitation would be, so how did you sort of, yeah, like convince him to do it? Yeah. Well, I mean, in all honesty, like I, I, I just wanted to express my, my thoughts and desire. I didn't want to try to pressure him. I love, right. I admired and loved him too much. <laughs> mm. um, so I wrote him the letter and he called me a, two weeks later and said, Hey, when I got your letter, let's talk about this. And I basically just reiterated the reasoning I'd given him in the letter. And one of the things I appealed to was, um, uh, there's, a a Scottish old Scottish pastor named Alexander white and his son-in-law 
wrote a very thick biography. Uh, it's called The Life of Alexander White. And hmm. Eugene kept a copy of that near his desk and repeatedly read it. In fact, hmm. he, it's really fun to, to, to go through the pages and see all the little places where Eugene checked yeah. little marks beside paragraphs and sentences and what captured his his thoughts. But I, I said, you know, um, well, Eugene said that that biography was a, a kind of pastoral voice for him, that he learned in part how to be a pastor through hmm. biography of Alexander White. And so I, I told Eugene that I, I hoped that his story could be that kind of voice for others. And when I finished talking to him, um, talking him through all that, I said, Eugene, does this conversation give you energy or does it make you tired? And he said, when it makes me tired. <laughs> and I just assumed that that would be the end of the conversation. But for some reason, we kept talking. Hmm. And five, ten minutes later, he said, when I have energy now, I think you're supposed wow. to do this. And I, I really don't know what the shift was, but never looked back. Um, mm. He and Jan just really, in a much deeper way, welcomed me into their family and their home. And um, and I spent the next three and a half years writing the book. Mm. One of the things I was excited to talk to you about, when was the impact that this project, but also just your relationship with Eugene and Jan had on your own walking with Jesus, life as a follower of Jesus, but then also your own understanding of the pastoral vocation. And we'll chat lots more about different parts of Gene's life, but I'm just curious how this has impacted your imagination and your own experience as you've wrestled with what it means to be a pastor and a follower of Jesus on planet earth. Hmm. Well, I think one thing is just show me that it's possible. Hmm. Um, I think all of us are looking for people who um, have deep integrity that who they are in public is who they are in private. And, and Eugene was by no means perfect. Um, and certainly the biography doesn't uh, steer away from that, but he was true. And I think, it's not about mimicking Eugene. In fact, nothing would dishonor him more than mm. trying to be a, another little Eugene. But Eugene was an example to me of someone who was uh, deeply holy and profoundly human at the same time. And those things are often pulled apart in the way mm. we think and talk but they're not meant to be pulled apart. They're, in fact, each of them becomes uh, dim shadows of the reality if they're, if they're not pulled together. So if the person of Jesus um, being the fullness of God and the most perfect and complete and alive human that has ever existed uh, tells us anything, it's that um, if a holiness isn't, enmeshed with humanity then it's not really holy and mm. if humanity is not enmeshed with holiness it's not really human and or not fully human and so i think just encountering someone who loved god in the depths of his soul who who whose life was a prayer to come into he and um Jan's circumference was to be welcomed into a, another way of existence. I mean, it really was, mm. it was, it was, you know, you'd walk into their home and you'd have all these anxieties and questions and you'd be there an hour and all of a sudden realize that what was it? What were those <laughs> questions again? And the anxieties didn't seem nearly as important and, and you were breathing deeper and you were more joyful and, and, um, you were more awakened to the beautiful mm. world that was outside their windows. Um, and so uh, to encounter all of these things and then encounter it in a person that you could, um, that you could have deep and meaningful conversations with, it's just, it was, um, it was, it was profound. 
Mm. Mm. I have a theory when, and it's that we have like a crisis of um, pastoral identity right now. Like, what does it mean to be a pastor? And I, I kind of want to do a project where we interview a ton of people and ask just the question, like, what's a pastor? And to just try to really wrestle with, because I think there's like a sense of biblical imagination of what a pastor is. There's what we do every week, the administration, the different things. And then there's the tradition you're part of, whether you're part of the Presbyterian church or an evangelical non-denominational church that changes your understanding. And I think one of the things that Eugene contributes is language to the pastoral vocation. And I just wonder if you could help, you know, through your own words and through maybe some of what you learned from Eugene, give some language and texture to like that question. What is, what does it mean when you feel called to be a pastor or that unique kind of, you use the words like the sacred calling. And I think we feel that. Um, but I think we do struggle, at least my generation struggles to go, this is what that means, or this is what that is. Yeah. I mean, I think we've, you know, we've grown up in a culture that uh, our pastoral sensibilities are not deeply rooted in the, the triune God and the story of Israel and Jesus and the church. Um, we sort of piece it together piecemeal um, with other questions being the compelling questions that we then jog over to scripture and see if perhaps we could find an answer to the question we're assuming has to be asked. But I think Jesus and the scripture does something different. It gives us new kinds of questions to ask. And I think one of the, the descriptions of a, of a pastor that I most deeply resonate with was from um, Archbishop Michael Ramsey, um, the Church of England. And he said, to be a priest is to be with God with the people on your heart. Hmm. And I think in that, that line gathers together, if not everything, at least most of the things, <laughs> the threads that I think are most essential. And it begins with God. Um, I think as any pastor worth our, you know, worth our salt would say, yes, you know, what we're doing is about God. But um, I think the reality is it ends up being oftentimes about everything else. And I don't mm -hmm. necessarily just mean the duties we need to do because yes, the, the duties are myriad and depending on our situation, um, it can pull us in a hundred different directions, but there has to be a steadfast tenacity that says um, there are a hundred things that I probably should do or am expected to do, but there is one thing essential. Hmm. And that is to stand before the holy, to find my life enveloped in the life of love, divine love, and to have my heart constantly awakened and reawakened to the one who has called me into being and who is the very heart of the universe and the very heart of each person I will meet today, each problem I will tackle, each heartache I will encounter, each moment where I want to rip my hair out or quit, that what's most alive and most true in the middle of all of that is God. Mm. Um, and then as we're doing that, we are doing that with the people God has called us to shepherd and to love with them on our hearts. So we are carrying those people with us to God hmm. and we are carrying God with us to those people. And, and that we are, um, we are an echo of the truest voice and we're looking to the truest voice for our own meaning and then we're calling those whom we love and are serving with to find their meaning in God. And I think that kind of reorientation, if we could really hear it, has the, the possibility of changing um, the kinds of questions that we're asking that feel most essential.
Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you sharing that. How do you think Eugene would answer that question? Would he quote, like, what, what, what sort of, what's some of the language of definition that he brought to that conversation as he tried to articulate? I remember reading his book, The Pastor, for the first time and finding it really challenging, if I'm honest, because it, 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 it felt so true and felt so at odds with maybe the job description I had at the time as a pastor in a department at a larger church. And um, just curious, yeah, like how, it, how did he bring definition to that question? A pastor, pastoral identity or pastoral calling. Yeah. Well, a part of me wants to to say to anyone who hasn't encountered Eugene, any pastor who hasn't encountered Eugene, yet, I'd want to probably say, don't listen to me. Go read these four books because he spent four books answering this question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a yeah. little unfair actually for me to ask that because <laughs> he did it in long form. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, he probably wouldn't quote Michael Ramsey. He probably would quote Isaiah or Jeremiah, which, which is one of the things I loved about him is he, he reoriented even his reading of scripture to um, some of these basic questions of who is God in the world and who are the people that God has called to help people see God in the world. Hmm. So, I mean, there's a lots of different ways if we just wanted a single sentence that I think Eugene sure. would say this and it would depend on the moment, the day and the angle. Um, it's kind of like prayer. So if you, if you were to read Eugene and you were to ask the question, what is prayer for Eugene prayer? You know, you could go through and you could look at every time Eugene says prayer is, and you would come up with pages and pages of things that prayer is because mm. it's this constant ever expanding generative um, multifaceted, we could never fully comprehend it, reality of what prayer is. And I think the same thing with pastor. I mean, it is, it is um, first of all about God. It is second of all about God's people. It is about place. It's about belonging. It's about integrity and courage. It's about humility. And each one of these things is going to wrap back to God and to God's people. Um and he, at its very core, wanted pastors to understand that their vocation was not first defined by the job description that was handed to them hmm. by a denomination or a church board or the um, needs or desires of the people they pastor, but that our job is first handed to us by the one who has named us and by the one who has called into being this marvelous, messy mystery called the church. Hmm. And so that we have to keep returning back to, to God and that this will always be a temptation and a seduction is to, in sometimes very faint um, and, and seductive ways and sometimes very, loud and boisterous and seductive ways to be pulled away from that kind of simplicity of vision. Hmm. You planted a church a number of years ago and got to see it. You mentioned for 12 years. Um, when you uh, look back at that journey, planting and leading a church, there's a lot of people maybe on the front end of that journey listening. Is there anything that you'd want to go back and tell like a younger win, you know, put your arm around him and speak into his ear or encourage him with that maybe could be, I don't know, helpful for people maybe on the front end of that ministry journey. Um, some things come to mind. My reticence is I think I had to go through them to learn them. Hmm. Like, I think we are so sometimes afraid of making mistakes. Yeah. Or we want to move past the, um, past the awkwardness to the, to the triumph. <laughs> and I think you kind of have to go through the wilderness 
Jesus certainly did, and he had to face the temptations. So there's a, a part of me, which if, if anyone hears a question like that, and if what they're feeling is, oh yeah, let me, if they feel the pressure to need to get it down so that they don't make a mess of things, um, I, I, I do want to speak some, um, some ease into that. And, and, you know, God, God seems to do a marvelous job of bringing beautiful things out of messy, uh, mistakes that we make. Hmm. Having said that, the, the thing that comes to mind is to be more playful and to have, um, to give myself to the deep, profound belief that what's most essential about me is not that I'm planning a church, is not that I'm um, uh, been given this vision that on my worst days I feel is up to me to make happen, but that I am beloved son of God or daughter of God and that um, that God's delight in me has very little to do with what happens with the church that I love and pastor. Hmm. So be playful. I appreciate that, man. I love that. It's hard to do that. Hey, mm -hmm. it's so, it feels so serious, you know? Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you find that space in your life? You know, in the midst of it all, sometimes the stakes feel really high. Um, there's a pressure to be a certain thing. How do you find a more expansive space in your personal life, your interior world? And when I say expansive, what I have in my mind is this picture of like so much of how we think and imagine is connected to the role and the building of the church, all these things and expansive being like, Hey, that's important and good. It's not downplaying that, but building out the world and our imagination beyond that. How, yeah. How might we find that? It's probably really good to have someone really close to us in our life who can see those kinds of things and who will have the courage to, um, give us a yank around the collar when we need it. I think in whatever way, and probably depending on setting personality gifting, it'll, it'll be different for each person, but in whatever way we are anxious to maintain control. Hmm. So if that's, you know, if that's our image or if that's, the vitality of our church, or if that's our standing with the denomination or a group of churches or, you know, however that plays out, whatever, what, whatever control looks like, then we probably need to find some, some very specific ways to actively surrender control. Hmm. So, you know, a real specific example would be, Maybe, maybe I'm a pastor who I really feel anxious about how a Sunday morning service comes off and whether it sort of hits all the cues and, right. you know, whatever we're doing is published just right or the music is just on point or, and I can sense in my soul during the middle of a, of a, a time of worship where I'm supposed to be directing my heart toward God. And yet there's all this energy, which is you know, might be about how other people are perceiving this. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's, well, we have wonderful theological language for this. That's called idolatry. And, <laughs> and it would probably be a really wonderful thing to allow uh, a massive hiccup to happen and surrender that to God. Wow. Um, it's more important to, to be honest with people before God than it is to have all the cues hit right. And yeah. so there were times at all souls, a uh, running joke was that we were a three legged dog and there were, there were weeks where that really annoyed me. And there were other weeks where I found that to be a profound gift. Hmm. Hmm. I feel like 
the online reality of church that COVID. And there's a, a whole other conversation about that. We don't have to go into the merits of is it church online, is it not? But like more for the first time for most people who are pastoring, their sermons, their worship services, all of it is broadcasted. The numbers are probably just a few people watching, but it's on the internet. And I feel like for me, that's really amplified that feeling like, you know, because in the room I can feel it, I can relate to people. And it's almost like that covers a multitude of the hiccups and I can kind of take them lighter. I've just found for personally, I wonder if other people listening would feel the same way. There's this added layer of pressure and exposure that makes what you're talking about that much more important, but also that much more difficult. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I did have the advantage that when COVID hit, I think I'd been a pastor there for like 11 years. Mm -hmm. And um, so I felt like I really knew the people. Hmm. And as a pastor, you know your people better than some church in, you know, Duluth. Right. <laughs> and and that's the difference between pastoring people who have names and faces hmm. and pastoring an amorphous church. Um, so I think the invitation is always to be as particular as possible. And I would suggest, and maybe this says more about my personality, I don't know, but I, I would suggest if the choice is between um, polish and direct relationship, I would, and I, if I have to do a trade-off, I'm always going to go in the side of direct relationship. It's just to say, to, to hold things loosely and to always ask the question, what is, what is pastoral wisdom Hmm. call me to do in this moment for these people and forget expectations, forget um, wow. how other people are doing it. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that. Reading the biography of burning my bones, there was like different moments. Again, I, I said this before, but it was just so beautifully written. And I found myself like really emotional at times, kind of like unpredictably. So like, why is this, why am I crying right now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> And um, chatting with my dear friend and the chapter about um, Eugene's relationship with his son was particularly impactful for him. And there's other parts that were really impactful for me. And I'm just curious which part of the journey of the research and the writing or which part of even the finished manuscript was most, most tender for you and meaningful for you. Well, in, in the research, it was definitely reading his journals. Hmm. And that was just uncharted territory. That was very, um, he bore his heart and soul there in a number of places. And his, I mean, his own kids hadn't read those journals. So I felt, um, I felt invited into, into something, but also felt a little uneasy. I didn't want to mis misuse or misappropriate. Um, I remember the first time I was laying on a couch in our sunroom and I was reading his journals. I remember the first time I read one of his prayers, which I would come to find out he prayed over and over again. But when he said, Lord, make me a saint. Hmm. And I remember tears coming to my eyes because this wasn't something he ever said in public it would be completely misunderstood um it wasn't something even his own kids had ever heard him say but it was all through his journals lord make me a saint this was the cry of his heart to be someone who was who was being deeply transformed by the presence of christ and i felt that it was um it was a true and genuine prayer and i wanted that for myself hmm that's beautiful. I want to pull up a line here. Um, you asked this, I think it's towards the end of the book. You said, how do I convey presence or explain the expanse that opened my soul as I sat with Eugene in unhurried silence? And I felt like you're, you said this actually at the beginning, it wasn't just what he said, but the life he lived. And maybe that's part of it. I just wonder if you could speak a little bit more to that feeling of presence with him 
and the way that that presence impacted you? Well, we're always shaped and formed by the people that we spend our lives with and people we're in company with. So that's always true of any person. But I, I do think there are a small number of people that we're encountering in this life who, by the strange mysteries of grace, um, have encountered something of God that has been a gift to them that has touched them in such deep and transformative ways that they're a different kind of person and they live in a different kind of way. And that is Eugene. And so, you know, when you would enter their house, it was, it was like entering another plane of existence. I don't mean that in a super eerie way. I mean, it was like you stuck, you crept, you stepped over a threshold that was more, you became more human and, mm. and things slowed down and anxiety slow began to dissipate and you would find yourself being more at ease and more yourself and more awake and more attuned to the beauty around you and the, the world. Um, and there was laughter and, um, it was just a deeply human place. And I think that's one of the reasons why the, the Peterson house was such a haven for so many people. I mean, it's in a stunningly gorgeous part of the world for sure. But there also was um, an air of holy hospitality and mm. the um, divine love that, that um, was a thin, a thin place. And so um, and much of that was about Eugene's holy life that was profoundly human. Hmm. And those things were exuded in their home. And um, it, was, it was a place of immense welcome, goodness, beauty. Beautiful. When I was reading the book, I realized that Eugene had like different ministries. He had this ministry through authoring, writing. Most widely, I think obviously the message has touched so many people. There's obviously the ministry in his home church where he pastored. And then there was his ministry to pastors. Yes, through writing, but later in life through this correspondence, you got to look into it. I think you might've commented that you were writing with him. Meanwhile, He's writing with all these pastors. He's got this correspondence. And then there's kind of a folklore out there of people who got to visit the house in Montana and go, but but he didn't, he and Jan didn't need to do that. They didn't need to like say yes to all these young pastors wanting to come and hang out. But there's this whole ministry to pastors. And what's fascinating for me is like Eugene has shaped so many pastors through his hospitality and so many churches today. And his relationship, or at least his commentary on the mega church, on the way of churches was um, was really thoughtful and sometimes appropriately critical, um, and yet his life was so welcoming to so many people who are often leading some of these churches. And so, I just would love to hear you share a little bit about like that ministry he had to pastors and what it felt like to be a pastor, learning from him. And you got to read all this correspondence and just really see a window to his life, just just how much time and energy he poured into other pastors. I'd love to hear a bit more about that. I have no idea how he got anything done. And, and <laughs> he never really had an assistant. Um, so I, yes, I don't know how he was able to keep up as much correspondence as he was and, and eat lunch, much less write all that he did. And so, but you know, he, you're absolutely right to call it a ministry in the deepest biblical sense. It's exactly what it was. But what's interesting is I don't know that he, he would have necessarily thought of it that way hmm. in any kind of organized or um, he just saw it as saying yes to the person in front of him. Wow. And it obviously just so happens that he, um, 
pastures is some of the people that he was most drawn to and most concerned for and wrote to certainly, but um, he, he, he wanted to be with pastors. He wanted to ennoble pastors. He believed in um, the vocation of being a pastor. He wanted to encourage pastors but he often did see himself like it's it's like a faithful minority, and I think he wanted that. You know, he would use the imagery of of like, was it there's a six hundred or six thousand have not been their knee to bell. You know, he he would he would use that imagery a lot, and I think he wanted that number to grow. And mm. uh, and yes, he had some very strong convictions, and he he saw some deep systemic problems with the North American church. Having said that, um, he was very slow to um, apply that to any one person with any too stringent of uh, an application. I mean, he, Hmm. he would, you know, if he was meeting with a, a pastor of a mega church, he would want to know what's your story. Hmm. Tell me, tell me your heart. You know, I remember one time, a one pastor of a really large church, you know, asked him, so are you saying it's impossible to be a faithful pastor and be a mega, of a mega church? And knowing Eugene, you know, he's just never going to answer a question like that with a, with anything easy. And he just, you know, thought for a minute and he said, well, no, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's going to be really, really difficult, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so, um, and in some ways, I, th- I think uh, people can get sidetracked by thinking too precisely about particulars with Eugene and missing the the deeper uh, question, which is what is, what does this seduction represent? Hmm. What is the pull? You know, he talked about uh, in American culture, at least we are a religious culture. We have dealt with our addiction to, um, uh, to sex. And we've dealt with our addiction or at least not dealt with as in we solved it, but we've, we've named (laughs) our addiction to sex and we've named our addiction to drugs, but we have not even begun to grapple with our addiction to crowds. Hmm. And so it was deeper questions of the soul and the heart that Eugene was really trying to get at, which is what is, what is pulling us from a life before God with people? Hmm. I think there's um, a lot of pastors longing for pastoral mentors, people to look at, um, to come alongside them. And I think that there's something about Eugene's way that really sort of subverted the way in which we can mentor and affect change. Uh, And part of just reading the book, like, welcomed into a space, getting to view a life. And I just wonder if you have any reflections on whether or not this changed for you or just galvanized convictions you already had, but what does that kind of mentorship, um, discipleship, one-on-one relational discipleship look like? And, you know, how did the way Eugene sort of opened his life and let people in, like I even think about specifically the way you talk about how not always answering the question, not always making it about the specific pragmatics, but this is, this, I think this reflects at least a philosophy of how we help shape people's walks with Jesus and what it means to follow him. I just wonder if like, as you think about the task of like mentoring young pastors or shaping, even just discipleship in general, you know, how did observing Eugene's life maybe inform how you might view that happening through your life today? I think his life reminded me that it can't be a project. Hmm. I think his life demonstrated for me that it's going to be, uh, by most measures, very, very um, inefficient. 
that's one of my struggles with um, lots of ways that we approach discipleship is that it's somewhere in there, um, this need to be efficient finds its way and hmm. it needs to be reproducible. And usually we mean by that in some kind of fairly quick form, dumb, dumb something down to its lowest common denominator so we can multiply it quickly. And that just has all the residents in the world with corporate capitalism. It has very little resonance with the kingdom of God. If we hear Jesus's parables about what the kingdom's like and try to mesh it with that kind of mentality, uh, we're going to go nuts. And so I think Eugene gave me vocabulary to, to name these things, um, courage to persist in trying to pursue this way, even though I feel the seduction as strong as anyone. And um, that discipleship is not a new program to be laid out. It is language for the most basic thing, which is um, living before God and inviting others to live before God with us. Hmm. And, um, there's many, many ways to do that. But as Eugene would say, none that would bypass baptism in the Eucharist. Um, so it always is strange to me when we talk about discipleship, but it subtly becomes something we're doing that's separated from the very heart of what God's called the church to do, which is worship. Um, baptism is discipleship. The Eucharist is discipleship. And if it's not, then I don't know what we're doing. Hmm. Um, and so I don't know that the need is to constantly come up with new ideas that we always need to be asking questions and responding to the needs in front of us. But I think the most fundamental thing is how can be, we live genuinely awakened to God right now and how can we invite other people to be awakened to God with us? Hmm. Thanks for sharing that, Wynne. Um, before we wrap up, some some light questions. One, Wynne, I don't know if there is a, a new uh, writing endeavor before you, but I just can't wait for the next thing that you you produce or write. Is there anything you're working on that you can share with us today? Nothing shareable. I. I'm uh, oh top know. secret. I like it. Well, no, I like it. No, no, no. Say no more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, the writer's always got the ideas, but I I haven't gotten ground on one yet. Mm. Well, I look forward to it. And uh, this was my entry into you as a writer, and look forward to reading the other books that you've written. And uh, appreciate your work a ton. For those who are maybe new to Eugene, like some people know him as the author of the message. What do you think is like the like? for someone who wants to get their feet wet in his writing, particularly for pastors, where do you want them to start? And then what's that kind of like pathway into his body of work do you recommend? Well, for pastors, I just recommend the book that's dearest to my heart because it was my introduction when that's working the angles, the shape of pastoral integrity. And I think it's just a profoundly uh, reorienting book. Hmm. Um, I mean, I also think Leap Over a Wall is a really beautiful book. It's his meditations on the life of David. I mean, certainly the one that many people have heard of, um, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, I mean, the Psalms of Ascent. I mean, I, I, you almost can't go wrong, but I just, I think his, um, his way of reading scripture that is so deeply rooted in, in our most ancient voices and acutely, um, listening for the fresh voice of the spirit in our moment in time is, is, um, is a, is a witness that we still need hmm. very much. Hmm. Lastly, what's most on your heart for uh, pastors listening today? What do you most want to convey to them before we wrap up? Well, I know, I know that a lot of us are, 
really exhausted. And I hear regularly about how many pastors want to give up. And I think I would just want to say, um, God sees you. Hmm. You're not alone. Your work really matters. Um, it's painful. Um, but the Lord of the universe is with you. Um, and the gospel is the power of God that will save us, save us from ourselves. So proclaim it. Don't mm. apologize for it. And, and bear witness to the light because God knows we need light. Well, I want to say thank you again to Wynn Collier for spending time with us, for giving us a window into his life and ministry and the life and ministry of Eugene Peterson. We highly recommend his new book, A Burning in My Bones, and we've got links to that and Eugene's other books that were mentioned in our episode in the show notes. In our next episode, we sit down with Glenn Packiam. The last time he was on the podcast with us was the fall of 2020, and it was an amazing conversation, so we wanted to have him back again. For those that don't know him, he's a pastor and author. He's the associate senior pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and he leads their downtown campus. He's been there for over 20 years. He's a great Bible teacher and writer, and we spend a lot of time in this conversation discussing his new book, The Resilient Pastor, Leading Your Church in a Rapidly Changing World. He did this book in partnership with Barna based off of new research and insights that they have. It was a meaningful conversation very helpful for me. I think it will be for you. And as always, thank you so much for spending time with us. We're full of hope for what God is doing in the church across Canada, and we love that you would be journeying along with us. Okay, we'll see you later. Thank you.